In today's episode, we have Dr. Laurie. She is an award-winning author, professor, and speaker. Dr. Laurie, how are you? I'm great. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for taking the time to come on Gentle Touch. Dr. Laurie, tell me about your journey. You have done so much, so much for the community, so much in general. You're an author, you're a speaker, you're a lecturer. Um, so what would you like to know? Just generally what I do, how I got here? Okay. How you got to where you are, yes. Okay, so... The short version is I always wanted to be a psychologist and I, that was my first and foremost um, profession. And then I ended up teaching and doing private practice. So I taught for at US University in California, Missouri, uh, Florida now, and I taught um, the psychology of human sexuality. I taught and I taught, you know, those kind of classes, but as I taught my human sexuality classes, I really discovered that whole bodies of knowledge about female sexual pleasure had been lost to this young generation of women. And so I started really understanding how little is still known about female pleasure. I started teaching to that. Um, I would get notes from my students like, thanks to your class, I'm orgasmic. And I thought, I can't keep this in my classroom. I'm going to, you know, write a book about that. And that was my second book. And then, you know, things happened from there. I started getting speaking engagements, um, gave a TED Talk, realized just how much I love public speaking, in fact. And um, and so, you know, my now it's sort of, I still see clients, I speak, I teach, um, but everything I do is pretty well all on female sexuality, female sexual pleasure. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Dr. Laurie, for the people that may not know, what is the orgasm gap? Okay, so the orgasm gap is the consistent finding in the research literature that when cisgender women, so, and I'm going to use the term women after I define it because I don't want to erase anyone, and the research is only on cisgender women. So when cisgender women, people born with a vagina identified as women at birth, continue to identify as women, get it on with cisgender men, same concept, right? The women are having way fewer orgasms than the men. Just a few examples. In the first study that found this, they found that 39% of women versus 91% of men woo, usually <laughs> orgasm during a sexual encounter. Now, that research didn't ask the context of the encounter. And subsequent research has asked about, you know, first time hookup, second time hookup, relationship sex. And we know from that research that the orgasm gap is the largest in hookup sex. It gets smaller with friends with benefits, relationships, but it rarely closes altogether. Um, now, I'll just say something. It might be your next question, but these stats really, I think they're important. Um, some people say, oh, that's just because women's bodies are complicated. Their orgasms are difficult. But two other gaps make it clear that's not so. One, women and are way more likely to orgasm during self-pleasure than partnered pleasure. Um, when alone, 95 or 6% of women orgasm. Men don't have that same gap. They orgasm about the same in masturbation and partnered sex. 
And we also know when women who get it on with other women have way more orgasms than when women get it on with men. In one study of bisexual women, so same woman, same body, who were hooking up with women and men, they orgasmed 64% of the time in first-time hookups with women and hold your hat 7% (laughs) of the time in in first-time hookups with men. So all these stats add up together to tell us the problem is in our bodies. It's the way we're doing heterosexual sex. I'm not blaming men. I'm blaming culture. That is a very, very big gap. When it comes to hooking up like um, female to female compared to a man, is it because as females we understand our bodies better or we're going more smoothly or what could be the reason? A couple things. First of all, you know, people often say that it's like the easiest and there's something truth to it. Like if you're a woman, you would know another woman's body better. But every woman needs something slightly different to experience orgasm. So I think what there's a couple things. One is, as women, we know we need to ask the other person, what do you need? I think, you know, there's research, lesbian sex between two women is slower And also, I think the biggest one is we resolve, revolve, not resolve, we revolve, excuse me, heterosexual sex around penetration. Like that's the main event we consider it. Very few women orgasm that way. In sex between two women, there's no penis to revolve the whole encounter around. So it's a lot of turn-taking a lot of external stimulation, whereas in heterosexual sex, it usually proceeds as, you know, foreplay, which is a word I don't like, and I can explain why if you like, just to get her ready for intercourse, intercourse, which we call sex, which I also take issue with, you know, encounter over. So I think that's the biggest reason. Wow. I also, um, from one of your interviews, it was said that in one of the studies, only 1.2% of females masturbate by putting something in their vagina yes so two separate studies have found this they asked women what do you do when you pleasure themselves and a lot focus on external stimulation alone a lot focus on external and internal combined but less than two percent both studies found less than two percent of the women masturbate exclusively by putting something in their vagina. Wow. Yet we expect that that's how we're going to orgasm when with men. It makes no sense, right? No, not at all. Not at all. How could we improve these numbers? Education. That's the primary one. Um, You know, I don't know how sex ed is where you are, but here in the U.S., we don't talk about pleasure. Um, We certainly act as if female genital anatomy doesn't exist. We talk only about the internal, the reproductive, the uterus, the fallopian tubes. I mean, I think it all starts with sex education. I also think movies and mainstream and porn are doing a lot of damage. And I'm not saying those aren't, they're here to stay. So I'm not saying get rid of them. But those are false images, and we need education to combat them. 
beautiful yeah 100 communication and an education as that will slowly reveal so much so much understanding and just take the taboo of everything dr lori i heard um squirting how is squirting recorded in porn yeah so i can tell you what actual squirting is it, it is um a liquid that comes out of the urethra um so remember the urethra that's where you urinate from and some women squirt, some don't, you know, there's all these articles telling you how to try, really don't do that. Just do what your body does naturally. But in porn, a lot of times they'll fill the woman's vagina up with water and then, you know, tell her to hold it till she can't and then film. So it's not ejaculate and it's not even coming from the right orifice, you know, it's fake. And yet, so it's just like these instant orgasms from penetration alone, squirtings on the same dimension. Like we have these images that are false, yet women think, oh, that's how I should, should be. To, to the girl that feels insecure, she's seen the porn, she's seen, saying she feels very insecure. Her boyfriend's saying, why don't you squirt? Why don't you do this? What are things she could do or communication, education, something to kind of like take that pressure off her well first of all you know she should understand herself that whatever she's whatever her body's doing is perfectly fine that those images are false and i think she needs to share that with her partner and if he persists he's probably not a good partner to be honest <laughs> with you 100%. you know and there's lots of books mine and many other folks included that can help educate her and her partner beautiful beautiful dr Marie, what could be a reason why women fake orgasms well there's lots of research on that and there the research says that almost all women fake at some point in their lives that's like a lot almost all right um, and when asked why they it's usually because sex is bad or boring and they want it to end or they want their partner to feel good. It's about his ego. I want him to think he gave me this orgasm. Um, or they're trying, they think there's something wrong with them and they're trying to not appear abnormal. And most faked orgasms do occur during intercourse. Now, some occur during manuals or oral, but the vast majority occur during penetration because we're that supposed to orgasm that way. Yeah. Yeah, for for the for the lady that does um for the lady that does fake orgasms, would this create an imbalance in pleasure? Like, say for example, if he then thinks you're having a good time and then we fake an orgasm, what would then be the results or the consequences of faking an orgasm? Yeah, by faking, she is teaching her partner to do exactly what doesn't work for her. He wants to give her an orgasm. He wants to give her pleasure, right? So she fakes and he's like, ah, I know what works. And then, so she's, she's, she's reinforcing, you know, something and it, you know, he'll keep doing what she did when she faked. To be able to, to then undo the consequences, what would be the next step? Would it be to go to therapy or to well, just no, be no. open? Oh, be open. I mean, therapy is great in it, but you know, I've talked, I've talked to a lot of women who faked. I talked to one woman who said, okay, I get it now, but I've been faking for 30 years, <gasps> you know? So what do you do then? Do you tell your partner I've been faking because 
if you do, like there might be feelings of anger, betrayal. You've been lying in a sense. So what I often recommend is a sit and I have is a sit down conversation. You don't have to say I've been faking. You can say, you know, I listened to this great podcast, Gentle PR, and she had this guest on and you know, this woman, you know, she's got a PhD, she's a scientist and a therapist, and, you know, she's got a lot of knowledge. And she said that when there's a lot of clitoral stimulation involved, um, and the, that women who, you know, try to orgasm from clitoral stimulation, maybe before penetration, or use a vibrator on themselves during penetration, she said the orgasms are more intense that sounds interesting to me. I'd like to try that. How about you? A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a much more gentle way of, of putting it because like you say, if we go straight and be like, hey, guess what? You don't pleasure me the way you think you do. It will not be good for the relationship. Exactly. Um, Dr. Laurie, what are the different types of orgasms we can have? Okay, that is... There is a scientific debate still about if there are different types of orgasms. And what we know, let me tell you what an orgasm is for starters, okay? So in both men and women, it's the same thing. We have erectile tissue in our genitals. And erectile tissue is tissue that has special capillaries. Usually blood flows in and out, in and out. In erectile tissue, when excited, the blood flows in, it's captured, it builds up to a point of intensity, and then it's released with rhythmic contractions of the public floor muscles. So in fact, there was one study that had people write descriptions of their orgasms, and then they took away any, any information that could define, is this a woman writing it or a man? And doctors and sex therapists couldn't tell the difference. So it's the same thing, okay? So when you when we have all these articles, 20 types of orgasms you can have, what they're really talking about is the point of stimulation. You can have an orgasm through stimulation of your clitoris. You might be able to have one from through stimulation of your vagina, your G-spot, your breast. I know women who orgasm from... But so, but we, for women, we like define them vaginal, blended, you know, clitoral. We don't do that for men, even. We don't say, did you have a penile orgasm or a prostate orgasm? We just talk about it as an orgasm. And yeah, there's some scientific evidence that those, those might feel different depending on the type of stimulation, they might go through different nerve pathways. But then there's other folks that say it's all one unit. It's one connected unit, our vagina, our clitoris, our internal clitoris, our urethra. So what I say to people is stop worrying about the type of orgasm. Just experiment with what feels good to you and enjoy it. You don't need a checklist of different types of orgasms you've achieved or not achieved beautiful it's, it's a journey not a race dr Lori, what is the importance of sexual communication like the moans and the groans and kind of like that reassurance for our partner or for ourselves right so we know that the sounds we make during sex 
moans, groans. They turn us on and they turn our partner on. Now, we also know a lot of women are faking those, right? You know, and that's part of the fake orgasm or faking what they've seen, right? So may, let your sounds be natural. Some people are noisy. Some people are quiet. But the other type of communication that's even essential is use your actual words. Talk about sex outside of the bedroom. Talk about it before. What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? Get consent. Talk about enduring. Oh, right there, faster, slower. Talk about it after. How was that for you? And the research is exceedingly clear, exceedingly clear, that couples who communicate about sex have higher sexual satisfaction. Wow. Yeah. For any tips for the girl that is very shy and doesn't know how to kind of that kind of loses her voice during intimacy, but doesn't know, she feels awkward, she feels shy of even just... Yeah, it's really hard because we have been socialized often to say we shouldn't say what we want, it's pushy, it's scary. So, you know, that's why in both of my books I have an entire chapter on communication. It's a skill. And what I often say to people is, I promise you it is easier to learn to communicate than it is to expect people to read your mind. And so it's, you know, I don't know, have you ever picked up a new skill, yoga, maybe, you know, podcasting, you know, running? It's hard at first and it takes practice and communication is just a skill like that. And that most times you get a positive outcome when you communicate. But you have, and, and even if you don't always, you can't control people's reactions, right? But you definitely have a better chance of a good outcome than if you remain silent. A hundred percent. Yeah. And like you say, it is a skill. It is a skill to be able to raise your tone a little bit, just a tiny bit and raise the volume if you're very shy, if you're not used to it. Or say, for example, sometimes when we're having intercourse, our partner would be, sometimes we get hushed. I'm like, shh. And you're just like, wow. So even then you're being told to be quiet, to not express yourself. So just overcoming that as well. Can you uh, tell me about that? I know you're interviewing me, but tell me about this being hushed thing. I haven't heard that a lot. So say, for example, I've been in the experience where I've been told to be quiet. Listen, the neighbors are going to hear you. So it's like you're already shy anyways and then it's like it's already an issue for you to kind of express yourself and then your partner tells you be quiet because the neighbors are going to hear you or just in general maybe they don't like to hear the sounds of your voice so it's like battling so many things the shyness and then you're being told to be quiet then it's like your voice you're not given that space to voice your opinion to voice your satisfaction right women's voices are silenced all over the place aren't they yeah, that's that's very sad. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's just it, it just takes time. It takes time to build that confidence. It takes time to heal from that trauma because then the next time, say for example, if you're with another partner, then you're just like, is he going to tell me to be quiet again? Is he going to tell me? And then it's like you're stuck in your mind and you're just like, what do I do? Um Dr. Laurie, tell me about for the people that may not know, what is a sequential orgasm? Okay, so for, for women, men can have or an orgasm and then they have something called a refractory period where they can't have another one 
you know, and the time varies depending on age, all kinds of things. Women don't have a refractory period, which means they can have an orgasm, not lose arousal and have another one and then another one. Um, and, and, and so people often think of them as multiple orgasms. And, and I like to call them sequential because they're distinct orgasms. They just happen back to back. Um, now, physiological studies show that some people do have what are called multiples, like there's no pause in between. Um, but sequential is really the most common pattern. So what you, you know, how do you, quote, have one? First of all, I don't want to put pressure on any women. If you are happy with one, just be happy with one. Like we have so much pressure, you know, get an orgasm this way, have multiple orgasms, you know. But if you want to try to experiment, just like anything else, the best thing is to try to experiment on your own first. Um, and what you can do is after you have an orgasm, take just a little break of, you often don't, if you're touching your clitoris and you keep touching, it can be painful, it can be sensitive. So just back off a little, then start stimulating yourself again and see if another orgasm arises. Beautiful, wow. And I've never had multiple orgasms. So does it take time to build up, time to build up and, and time to trust the process? Yeah, or some people just, just like squirting, just like different types of orgasms. You know, I just tell women, experiment, but don't put pressure on yourself. You might just be someone who that your body doesn't work that way. There's no shame in that. Or take some time on your own and just, you know, relax in between and see if, you know, if you pleasure yourself again, if you'll have another, but you might have one and be like, I'm good. And that's okay too. Beautiful. I've, 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 I've been able to squirt, but only with um, two particular partners, but the connection was very strong. But say if it, if the connection is not strong, it's not happening. If I don't feel relaxed, if my body isn't relaxed, if my nervous system isn't relaxed, it's not going to happen. No way. Yeah. 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 And that's, I think, for pleasure in general. You know, the, the more relaxed, the more mindful, the more pleasant, like safe we feel, the better our pleasure will be. Dr. Laurie, clit clitoral stimulation and penetration at the same time. Would that bring higher levels of satisfaction for the female? Not always. So there's not always. Not always. No, because again, it's what your body likes. When I ask women, oh, like thousands of women, this question: What's your most reliable route to orgasm? A very small percentage, about four percent, says penetration alone. About and then the other half is about split between clitoral stimulation alone and clitoral stimulation paired with penetration. So it's, again, it goes back to what does your body want? What is it like? I've talked to women who can't orgasm by combining because the feeling of something in their vagina distracts them from the, the feelings of clitoral stimulation. It's too much stimulation. Mm -hmm. So no, there is no one size fits all. Beautiful. Thank you for that. Um, Dr. Lurie, different types of stimulation lead into orgasm. So for, for the individual that may not know, what could this be? Could this be with a toy? Could this be with like um, touch? Again, this is where experimenting with yourself, you know, use your hands, use a vibrator, 
you know, and honestly, we do know that our vulvas have something called carpis. There, I'm, I'm not going to pronounce it right. There's a special kind of um, touch receptor on our vulvas that are responsive to vibration, which explains why many women don't have their first orgasm till they use a vibrator. Wow. So use your hands, use a vibrator, you know, try outside, try inside, just play around till you find what works for you beautiful it's, it's always a journey to figure what you like what you don't like and the more we explore then we get to do the list of nope 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 that doesn't work yes this works for me and so on um dr nuri what are your thoughts on um a clitoris piercing ah uh, i i have talked to some women who say it intensifies their pleasure i've talked to women who said they wish they hadn't gotten them so i can't really weigh in on that i think you know um I'd want to talk to, and, and that's more of a medical than a psychological question. Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes we, we hear it gives increased or um, increased orgasms, or but then it's like, okay, but it's such a sensitive area. Where do we stand with that? Um, Dr. Laurie, yoni gazing. So would you, do, tell, I've heard this term used to describe different things. So please define first what you mean, because I want to make sure. So yoni gazing, for example, with a mirror. So looking at ourselves down below with a mirror. Okay. That's a good thing. It's, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's often a sex therapy technique to get out a mirror, identify your parts. I mean, you don't need to just, you know, you really, a lot of us have never looked at ourselves. A lot of us don't even know. We couldn't identify what our labia looks like, what our clitoris looks like, where it is. So get out a mirror and identify your parts. And if you look at your vulva and you think, ooh, this isn't pretty, I often recommend looking at it till you can appreciate its beauty. And sometimes that takes looking at pictures of other women's vulva. There's great resources online for that, um, you know, so that you can see that you're beautiful just the way you are. Beautiful. Thank you for that, Dr. Lori. Dr. Lori, how do we navigate, say, for example, peer pressure and consent? Say, for example, if our partner wants to do things we're not ready, for example, um, orgies or having multiple partners at the same time and we're not ready, how do we navigate our, our worries, our insecurities, our like, I'm not ready, but they keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing? That's not a good partner. I got to be honest with you. If you have a hard no and you have every right to a hard no and they keep pushing, I don't think you're with the right partner. I hate to say it. A partners who respect your boundaries are good partners. So my answer there is quite clear. Get rid of the partner or tell him to stop pushing loud and clear. And if he doesn't, he's not the partner for you. A hundred percent. And this goes out to many ladies that live in silence and that are scared to voice their opinion, that are scared to to stick to the boundary. Maybe because um, I've come across a lot of ladies that are in open relationships, but they don't want to be in open relationships. They're just scared of losing the individual they are with, maybe because they've been in a long term relationship. But it's like they and I will t ask them, are you happy? Like, are you? Because they're they would say, oh, I tried the open relationship and I was dating, but I don't want that anymore. But their partner is still on the open dating as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a really complex topic. Open relationships work for some people. They don't work for others. But, you know, I always encourage people, stretch your boundaries, see what works for you. But don't ever, 
ever engage in a situation or a behavior that you find upsetting or aversive. That's that. What you're talking about is sexual coercion. It's dis, maybe it's disguised a little bit because it's the partner, the person you're married to, in love with. But that's still sexual coercion we're talking about. When for, for, pushes your boundaries. Yeah, because sometimes, um, sometimes, especially if it's a big age gap or if the partner has a lot more experience or exposed to many more things than what their other partner wasn't, it, it just goes to show where do you stand and how do you navigate certain situations. But like you say, reflection, boundaries, and like you say, just looking up the term sexual coercion. Um, Dr. Lurie, if you had a billboard on the side of the highway, what would it say? Oh, great question. Well, I think the most inclusive one, because it would cover everything, is when it comes to sex, don't should on yourself. There, you know, get let's get rid of all these shoulds. I should be in an open relationship. I should orgasm from penetration. I should squirt. You know, just however you experience pleasure and joy is how you experience it. And let's get rid of these ridiculous societal ideals that are putting so much pressure on women. Beautiful. Dr. Lurie, um, knowing where you are now, what advice would you give to your younger self having just started your career? One step at a time. You know, I never could have imagined that this is where I ended up with. I didn't, and I didn't, my goal wasn't to be here. Um, and I think had I set that goal, I might not have gotten here. Like be, oh, just, you know, and I have a lot of young psychologists like say, oh, you know, how did you get here? I want to be you. Tell me the steps. You know, yeah, I have some goals, but so much of career and life is serendipity, exceeding different opportunities as they arise you know, have some goals, but don't be so rigid and seize different opportunities and take one step at a time and different, your career can be sequential, just like your orgasms, right? Like today, you know, I might be focused on writing and next year I might be focused on something else. Like you, you can't do it all at once. And the other thing I would really encourage everyone to do is it's so simple, but so important no matter how goal-oriented and focused on your career you are, get eight hours of sleep a night if you can. Eat healthy foods and exercise. You will be more productive if you are taking care of your health than if you're not. A hundred percent, yeah. And that is a lesson to me because sometimes I'm on four hours of sleep and my focus and to manage everything is you, you really see the consequences of that. Dr. Laurie, what is your favorite book? My favorite book in general or like sex? it could be anything, anything, anything. The book, I, I mean, I haven't read it in years, but it pops in my mind. It was one of the favorite books I ever read. It was called The Color of Water beautiful I've, I've not i've not heard it mentioned on the podcast before it's a new one yeah yeah it was i loved that book um so but there's so many good books in the world really yeah dr Laurie, how do you look after your mental health the same with every advice i just gave you okay i exercise every day 
Um, if I maybe I'll miss one day a week if I have to, but I either walk or I go to yoga or I swim laps. I work really hard at getting eight hours of seven to eight hours of sleep a night. I stay up on my preventative health care, you know. Um, I eat really healthy. I don't over drink. I don't smoke. Like, I feel like I take really good care of my health because this is like the body you're in is the only body you're given and it's going to be with you your whole life. It's your, it's people talk about the mind body connection. I don't see it as a connection. It's we are one. Our mind and body are not just connected. We are the same thing. I meditate every morning. So I do a lot, a lot to take care of my mental and physical well-being. And Beautiful. I believe, and I also have to say I'm 63 and I, I'm able to do that more now than honestly, when I was in my twenties, thirties, getting my career going, raising children, I didn't take as good care of myself as I do now. Um, I have more time to do that now. Beautiful. That leads me on to my next question. What does your morning routine look like? Oh, I have a very clear morning routine. I, I get up and, um, you know, I do the usual things that people do. I go to the bathroom, blah, blah. Um, I'll admit I weigh myself every morning. Um, and that may sound eating disordered, but um, I, I mean, to me, it's, it's not like I'm obsessed, but I'm interested in is my weight going up or down, you know, um, that kind of thing. Um, you know, um, and then I... Um, I come out and I turn my coffee on and unfortunately I've had, I've been ill. So I have, I mean, I'm fine now, but I have a plethora of pills I must take every morning as the coffee is brewing. I take my little plethora of pills and then I take my first cup of coffee into my room and I light candles. I have this little meditation corner since we're on video. I'll even show it to you if I can. There it is. Oh, beautiful. Yep. And I put that little pillow down. I light my candles and I meditate. And by meditation, I mean a mindfulness meditation where I'm aimed at putting my mind and body in the same place. I have the same music song I listen to. I focus on the candles. I focus on the warmth of the coffee in my hands, focus on the taste of the coffee. And I meditate through my whole first cup of coffee. And then I go get a second cup of coffee. I sit down and I work through my email. And um, then I usually go out to either yoga or walk. And then I come back, shower, and start my day. Beautiful. Wow. Amazing. It, it just goes to show how important a morning routine is for the beginning of a busy day, for the beginning to get your goals. Because sometimes we're like rush, 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 but we forget that the first bit of the morning is what makes up for get you ready for Absolutely. the rest of the day and it's habit when i first started i'd walk in my office and i'd look at my meditation corner i'd look at my computer i'd have to fight myself which one now it's just natural like i don't do anything till i meditate first wow beautiful dr Lurie. out of all the courses you've taken what course would you recommend to a friend i haven't taken many courses in a long time right because, you know, so I can't really answer that question. Um, 
um, because, I mean, I was in grad school a long time. Now I teach classes, so I don't really have that. But I would actually say, if I can expand the question, I strongly recommend people taking up a yoga practice. Why is that? Because go to a yoga class, because we know that women who do yoga are, have better orgasms, more desire. Why is that? Because yoga is a moving meditation. It teaches us that mind-body connection that we were just talking about. And it's, it's fun and it's good exercise too, but it really does help with the mind-body connection. I actually did not know that about yoga, the first bit that you mentioned. Wow, that's yeah. so interesting. There's this, wow. Yeah, it enhances sexual functioning. Powerful. Yeah. Dr. Laurie, tell me about your books, about your projects, about um, how can listeners connect with you? So thank you for asking that. So I've written two books. The first one is called A Tired Woman's Guide to Passionate Sex. And it's for women who feel like their desire has diminished. My second book is called Becoming Cliterate, Why Orgasm Equality Matters and How to Get It. And it's all about the orgasm gap. It's a combination of cultural analysis, why do we have this gap, and um, self-help. Um, the self-help chapters include like looking, like here's what your anatomy is, look at your vulva, um, mindfulness, sex positive thinking, sexual communication, you know, masturbation, you know, partner sex. So it's a combination of cultural analysis and self-help to close the orgasm gap. What I'm really proud of is published trials, clinical studies show that women who read both books enhance their sexual functioning. Whoa. Um, yeah. So published in scientific journals, for example, women who read Becoming Cliterate have more orgasms, more pleasure, more arousal, become better sexual communicators, have less sexual pain. So all of my handle is the same. My website is www.drlaurimintz.com, D-R-L-A-U-R-I-E-M-I-N-T-Z.com. And all my social media, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, all of that, it's all the same handle, Dr. Lori Mintz. Beautiful. And they can also purchase the book via the website as well? No, I don't sell my own books because they're um, not, they're published by a publisher, both of them. So they're available on Barnes and Noble, Amazon, indie bookstores, anywhere where books, audiobooks, Kindle, ebooks are sold. Beautiful. And the TEDx talk that can be just um, seen, the one that you had just by a, a YouTube search? Yeah, you and it's also linked on my um, it's also linked on my um, website as well. Beautiful, Dr. Laurie. Dr. Laurie, I just want to say a great big massive thank you. Thank you for taking the time to come on Gentle Touch and for all the work that you do for all the research and just being so knowledgeable and sharing your experiences and as well for taking the time to write the books because we need more female leaders like you to be the voice of so many females that shy away that don't don't that have like just been shushed for so long and it's time to kind of break that well thank you for all you're doing and thank you for having me on it was delightful to talk to you ah uh, you're very welcome